And I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word. I'm not sure if this is safe here. I'm going to move it over here. I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word, whether it be paper-bound or par-bound or in the glow of a tablet or phone, to Exodus chapter 11. That's where we're going to find ourselves today. Exodus chapter 11. And uh, we're going to continue our discussion. I set my Bible somewhere. Now I cannot find it. Well, that's not good. That's a good thing we provide these Bibles. So, uh, if you do not have a Bible, as I did not have one right then, uh, I invite you to use the pew Bible that's in front of you. Turn to Exodus chapter 11. Why did that pop up? Okay. All right, and we're going to be on pages 55 through 58. 55 is where we're going to be finding ourselves today as we look at the final plague that God pushes and, and demonstrates on the people of Egypt to provide redemption for His children. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the, the book of Exodus. It's been our center focus as we study God's Word and see God as a Redeemer. And when we talk about God being a Redeemer, we don't just talk about only a spiritual sense and an otherworldly sense. We talk about Him being the Redeemer of not only our souls, but our livelihoods, our, our life. He is the Redeemer that works even in the physical realm, even in the pages and times of history. And we look and see how this takes place in the, the people of Israel, in the time of Egypt, through the life of Moses. And so I'm going to invite you to turn and, and stand with me as we read God's Word together. By the way, if uh, you have one of these Bibles and if you're following along and you don't have a Bible of your own to call, uh, please take this as your gift after you read with it today. But this is what it says. Chapter 11, verses 1 and following. It says, The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you out of here. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. The Lord gave the people favor with the Egyptians. In addition, Moses himself was very highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord God says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. And every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be such a cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will get out. And he went on from Pharaoh's presence, fiercely angry. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. 
Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. and He would not let the Israelites go out of this land. Let's pray. Lord God, today we've read an account from your word. It is something that actually happened. It is preserved so we may see what has happened, but not only have the, uh, the knowledge of this historical moment, but have the knowledge of you who works in history to bring about redemption. Help us today see that you are the redeemer. Help us today to see that in your redemption, as severe as it can be, you provide an, an incredible substitute, a gift of grace, so that we may draw near to you. We may stand before your holiness because of what you have done. But God, help us also to see that taking you lightly would be something incredibly foolish. We dare not want anyone to experience that cruelty. We want them to know your grace. So help us teach it well. Thank you for your word. Help us hear from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So it's always our goal... When we get into God's Word, we take time to center our, our worship gathering on this, this teaching time and, and this teaching source. That we don't want to just follow trendy ideas or throw out a topic. We want to say, all right, what does the Bible say? Because when we see what the Bible says and, and what it means and how it applies, it leaves us with a choice. It's like no other book. It, it, it asks the question, it begs the question, what are you going to do about what you know? What are you going to do about this God that is presented? And based on those decisions, that's where life change happens. Life change doesn't happen by osmosis just because you're in the correct pew. Life change doesn't happen by osmosis just because you attend a certain amount of times. Life change doesn't happen by osmosis just because you give a certain amount. Life change doesn't happen by osmosis just because you've gained a certain age. Life change doesn't happen by osmosis in a church in any of those ways. Life change only happens, we are only changed by the grace of God through what He reveals to us in His Word. We dare not go to any other source but His Word because it gives us the, the, the answers for life. It is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching. It is for correcting, for rebuking, for direction, for showing the man or woman of God what is good so they may be adequately equipped for good works. So here today, when we look at this, this area of the Bible, and to see it in its proper place, to see what God was doing, we see Moses has been the writer of these first five books of the Bible. He's giving us this history of what God has done in the beginning and through this, this moment with his people, Israel, to deliver them. And he writes these books because the people of, of Israel, after Moses dies, they need to be able to look back and remember. There's something important about remembering what God has done to draw us to Him. When we forget what God has done and drawn us to Him, we make this faith, we make this worship, we make our holiness, we make our piety, we make our, our righteousness, we make our teaching, our serving, we make it more about us when we forget what God has done. When we forget who, who God is. And so it helps them to remember who God is so they would obey what God has said. And today our goal when we read this particular text looking at the topic, looking at the subject of God's redemption, as this is what Exodus is all about, redemption and rescue. Our aim today is to see the Redeemer's supreme power, saving pardon, and substituting provision for all of those things. How do we find these redemption reminders? What are they? 
when we read this text from chapter 11 through chapter early part of chapter 13? Well, first of all, we're going to see quite a few reminders. And because we have quite a few points, we're going to go quite fast. So here's the first one. First, we see the Redeemer's statement. This comes in verses 1 through 10. The reminder is that, that God did not bring these plagues without warning. God did not present these judgments without people knowing ahead of time, this is what is coming. This was God's grace being demonstrated. He let this statement be known so they would know what was happening, why it was happening, where it was coming from, and what it meant, and how they are meant to follow after the Lord. And that in God providing this warning, they would be prepared. When we look at the Bible, some people look at the harshness about what it, what God says will be the final judgment, the final judgment day, heaven or hell, especially the idea of hell. And they think, how could God be so cruel? And yet I would counter that by saying, how could God be so gracious that he would say, I'm still giving you time. I'm still giving you warning. I'm showing my love because I don't want you to go there. It was not God's desire his intent for the world to face the judgment of fallenness. But it was God's holiness that had to be demonstrated in a world of incredible evil where life was tossed away in rivers to die, babies. Where people were enslaved and considered of no value, of no importance. God was going to show He is a Redeemer who sees evil and will bring judgment, but in His grace, still lets us know what is coming so that we may rightly regard Him, we may rightly respond to Him. Unfortunately, in this, this statement, Pharaoh does not respond appropriately. Pharaoh does not heed such a warning. In fact, at the end of the, the ninth plague, the ninth striking, the ninth judgment that fell down upon the people of Egypt, an impression of darkness where they could not see about in the land and only the land of Goshen, the place where the territory, where the slaves of, of Israel had lived, only there was their light. And Pharaoh so angered by the fact that his magicians, his wise men, his leadership, his right people in the right administration were not able to rebuff what God was doing. He was so mad at Moses for being this deliverer of these of this news of what was coming. And for Moses also having the power, because God had given it to him, to say, alright, you can set about the time, I'm going to work, but you, you Moses, are going to be my spokesman. He could not dare. He defied God. And before this tenth plague, he says, you, you're never going to see me again. If you come before me again, you're going to die. Before he left, Moses gave this warning because God said, this is what you must say. Even Pharaoh must know. I will not let this judgment fall without warning. What does that mean for us today? What is that a reminder of? It reminds us of the urgency that there are still peoples in the world, some across the street, some across the nations that have never heard the warning. They have never heard the statement. They've never heard God's gift of grace to bring the relenting. That God would be the substitute in the middle of it. They've never heard that news. And we must urgently share that because God has set that as a, a precursor, as a, as a setting for us as the church to be those witnesses so that they may know 
We can never force their hand and we should never force someone's hand. We can never coerce them and we should never coerce them. We, sh- we cannot oppress them into a decision and we should never do that. But we should make it known. Because just as we have freely received grace that comes from the good news that we have heard, we're meant to pass on these statements. What's the second reminder? Well, we see the Redeemer's security that even in the middle of this statement, God provides a substitute. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month that they must select an animal of the flock according to their families. One animal per family. So what we see in this moment is, is God's security. The Redeemer's security. That He is about to bring the heaviest of all the judgments that is going to face Egypt. Remember, this is also a part of God's grace that He didn't start very beginning with judgment number one as the death of the firstborn. The first one was a distressful plague, to be sure, but it wasn't such a mournful, drastic judgment. But in this, this first statement that, that, that God says to, to Moses and Aaron is a statement of security. In other words, He's saying, this day that is coming will not be the last day. This day that is coming will not be the last day, but it is going to set a pattern of what I'm going to do to you, do for you through generations. I am setting a securing statement that what I have promised will be perpetuated. It will not end here. That is good news and assurance for us when we see what Jesus has told us about our security in Him, that He provides for us righteousness on that day we trust Him and it carries us through all days. That God doesn't say, well, let me take that back. He provides it for us. And even here, He sets that pattern for Moses and Aaron that this is going to be the beginning of your life. It's a sign of God's security that when we trust in Him, we are assured. That may be a quick reminder, but it's there. We also see the third reminder, and that is the Redeemer's schedule. He says, not only am I providing this security for you, but I'm going to set a schedule for you. It's going to change the whole way you look at life. In fact, from this day that I'm about to do this, that's going to be your new year. The rescue, that moment is going to be your new year. It's going to be like a new birth for you. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? It should. It should. He says on this day, it is going to set your calendar. From now on, the very beginning of the year, you're going to be reminded, God gave me this life. God set me free from slavery. God brought judgment on those who... Perform evil. And God rescued those He chooses to share His redemption with. From this moment on, their very schedule was changed. And not just for Moses and Aaron. He says, tell the whole community. Tell the whole community this. This is for all of you. And He goes on to say later on that this will be not only for you, but it will be for the people that come after you. It'll be for the people that come with you that are not even from Israel. It'll be for the people that come to you. That as I set myself as a, as the God overall, I'm going to set this schedule so they see through the Passover. And then they see through the Feast of Weeks. Those seven weeks after Passover. And then they'll see as the Feast of Booths where you come together to worship. When they see these feasts, these gatherings, it's a reminder. I am the God who provides atonement. I am the God who provides redemption. I am the rescuer. And you have this very life, this new life, because I 
have demonstrated my grace to you. It sets a tone. A fourth reminder that we see is the Redeemer's stipulations. This comes from verses 2 through 6 of what they're supposed to do. That it's supposed to be on this schedule. The whole community is supposed to do it. On the tenth day of that month, they are to select an animal of the flock according to their father's families. One family per fa- one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person in the neighborhood nearest his house are select one based on the combined number of people. There's a lot of stipulations here. But God is saying, what I'm doing is I'm providing to meet the needs for all. These are the stipulations of how you're to do it. You're to make an unblemished animal. A one-year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. Whatever you've got. And you're to keep it to the 14th day of the month. And then the whole assembly of the community will slaughter the animals at twilight. So from the day this morning, God is saying, I'm setting a season for you. A new schedule. But here is the security you're going to have it. And here's the stipulations of what it means to be my people in the middle of this. On the 10th day of that month, you're to take a, a one-year-old male sheep or goat according to the size of your household or the size of your household and your neighbor's household. And you're to bring that sheep into your home for four days. You know what a problem with that is? What happens when you have kids after four days of having an animal? They name it. It becomes loved. It becomes costly. It becomes dear. It becomes precious. And after 40 days, you see the costliness of the sacrifice. That something that became costly and dear to you was laid out before you. Something that was innocent was killed to provide you life. God sets this idea of an innocent being receiving the price, the costly sacrifice in the place of those who deserve death. You see, the people of Israel were God's promised people. They were people that he had received, that received a covenant that was passed down from the beginning with Abraham and throughout generations. No doubt about that. But they were still people with sin. They weren't blameless. They were still people in a society, and and as we see, many of them had already adopted the patterns of worshiping these false idols because they carried those patterns with them when they followed after God. But on this, God's saying, I'm going to save your life. That even though you're caught up in this world of all kinds of chaos and confusion, even though you're caught up with your own sin, I am going to provide. But it will not be some whimsical, mere pleasantry. It'll be something costly. I want you to feel the gravity of what this means, that I'm doing this for you. There's a reminder about the stipulations. There's a reminder about the supply that God says, this is, you're going to have enough goats and, and sheep there. I, I love that. I think my little headpiece went away, and that may be the reason. Is that better, Alex? All right. You're welcome for that. But in this, we're reminded of the supply. That these stipulations weren't for the people of Israel. All right, you're going to have to go climb this high mountain, find this rare flower, and then find the rare animal that eats the rare flower, and then find the rare bug that's on the rare animal that eats the rare flower on the rare mountain through a rare whole set of tasks. 
He says, what you're going to do is you're going to take from your flocks, your sheep. You're, you're going to take from those things that are already there, that I, I, I've already provided for you. And it's going to be supplied to make this stipulation met. There's another reminder about that. That's how that was relevant to us. That when it comes to finding grace, when it comes to finding rescue and redemption with God, He's not asking us to find, climb some rare mountain, to find a rare flower and the rare animal that eats a rare flower and the rare bug on the rare... He's not asking us to do that. He says, I've already given you supply. I've already given you of myself through Jesus. For the people of Israel... Find their righteousness. God says, I've already given you what you need. It's there. Not only for you, but for your neighbors. If, if, if your family's small and they have need, it's enough. I'm not leaving you without the supply. I'm a God who provides that substitute for your time of need. And I have done that through Jesus Christ ultimately. We see that reminder. We see another reminder, and that is the Redeemer's service. This is a lengthy part of this text. You see it in verses 8 through 11, 24 through 20, and 24 through 28 of chapter 12. But in this, you see God setting the order of how this ceremony is to take place. After the animal is slaughtered, you're to sit down and a meal together. And there's symbols that relate to what you're going to be doing. You're to do it with a staff in your hand and the shoes on your feet, not as you would usually prepare for a meal where they sat down at a very, very low table and they washed their feet because all the gunk and everything that they had gotten so close to in their family. I mean, when your feet are that close to your mouth when you're eating and then all you've been doing is stepping in dirt and other particles throughout the day, you want this stuff clean. And so he's saying, but that's not how you're going to eat this meal. You're going to, you're going to eat this meal and, and you, you're going to, you should be ready. With sandals on your feet, staff in your, your hands, you should be ready for your outside going clothes. You should have food that's very easily packable, unleavened bread, a few herbs, nothing major, but each of these is a symbol that I'm getting you ready to go. I'm getting you ready to move. I'm getting you ready to live faithfully. But all of these pointing back to honoring me. All of these pointing back to saying, God did this. And were it not for Him, I would have nothing to be reminded of. I would still be a slave making bricks with my life not meaning anything to those around. But because of Him, my life has changed. So what does this mean for us? How does this apply to us? Well, it's a reminder that God has set certain things in our life in a way, in an order, so that we would come back to those reminders, that we would see they're important. They're not just schedule interrupters. They're meaningful. And we should never take lightly a service done for the Lord. Ever. We should never take lightly a time that God sets aside for us to be with Him. Not just on Sunday morning, but any time. God says that we're to daily walk with Him. That we're to daily be crucified with Him. That we're daily to spend time in the Word. And we do this not because we sit there and go, oh, well, I guess I better check that off the list. But it's like, wow, were it not for you, God, this wouldn't mean anything. But because of you, it changes everything. We're to have this reminder of what it means to follow God in the service that He directs. All of these were directed by God to take place. 
It wasn't just them coming up with random ideas about what would look cute or clever or that they could put on a card or, or anything like that. It was because God said it. And they wanted to honor Him. We see a seventh reminder. And that is the Redeemer strike that all of this set up for the moment that God was going to lay that judgment onto the people of Egypt. Verses 29 and 30 says, Now at midnight, on this 14th day, think about this. The moment that God said and made the statement, that was the beginning of their new year. And they had 14 days. 14 days of preparation. 14 days of sharing the news. Once again, God didn't say, alright, this is happening like in the next few minutes, or oh, it's happening now. All right, everybody's going to chaos. No, God was giving the the warning for this strike that was coming. It says at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the prison, who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house It wasn't a house without someone dead. You may think, wow, brutal. Wow, would I I want to serve a God like that? It it says the Lord did that. This wasn't just some disease. This wasn't just some random happiness. It said God did it. Why would I, would I want to serve a God who does that? We serve a God who is just. And that's one reason we count Him as God. Think about it this way. If you were going down to the courthouse and you saw a judge that was like just vengeful and letting people that maybe had given him a fender bender on the street and, and they're, they're brought before Him but they're innocent of the crime that, they, that they're brought before Him and He says, eh, throw them in the jail. It's not a big deal. I don't like that guy anyways. They'd probably think, not a good judge. But if we saw someone that, that just committed the most heinous atrocities over and over again, and, and they were brought before the judge and says, but judge, I got a good heart. He's like, oh yeah, <laughs> just let him go. Not a good judge. So if we think of God as ultimately holy, and we as a people knowing right for wrong and saying, God, why don't you do something about evil? And then we see God doing something about evil, and then we push back and say, but I didn't mean that. we got to see that God is holy, and He is absolutely good and righteous and just, and He will call evil into account. And one of the greatest atrocities that happened from generations to generations was happening in Egypt where they were taking babies all male babies and just killing them. And I'm not saying that God is being vengeful here, but God is demonstrating that that will not go unnoticed. He, he is not letting that go unnoticed. He's not letting that go unreckoned. He's not letting that go unjustified. That in His holiness, God brings back on the people of Egypt, the cost, the cost of their atrocities. Even though He gave them a moment, just like He gave Israel. There were some Egyptians that followed after the Lord. 
They saw the activity. They saw what was coming. And they followed after this pattern and ended up following Israel out. But there were many who sneered, who did not see the warnings, who did not take the statements of God's grace. And they faced this judgment all the way through. We see in this another reminder though that you have the Redeemer's strike, but you also have the Redeemer's salvation. That those who took the blood of the innocent and they put it on the doorpost and the thresh and, and, and they covered it by the blood, all of those, when the, the, the death came by, it passed over them. It rescued them. And God says this is going to be a, a redemption to redeem not only your children, not only you, not only your livestock and those that come before you, come after you, I I am doing this to show the significance of my hand of salvation that when I see people whose lives are justified by the substitutionary blood that I have supplied for them, I extend grace and mercy. A lot of people don't like talking about the bloodiness of the Bible. There's some that will look at this and be like, Oh man, those poor sheep and goats. But then we see what God does on the cross to the one who is purely innocent, fully human, fully God, totally righteous, absolutely sinless. And it is only by the costly provision and substitute of His blood and our trusting in what He shed for our forgiveness of sins that God can look at our life and see that the debt that was paid was paid by Him. It is only by looking at that that the salvation is there. And this is what stays God's hand. This is what relents that the price was paid. That He still remains just. He still remains holy. The cost for sin was still paid. The price for death to be brought to life was given. He provided it. So He saved. A ninth reminder, we see the Redeemer's splendor in this. Verse 42 of chapter 12. It says, It was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord because He would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord. A night of vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. What began here was something to honor the Lord in perpetuity. But they would take one night, a vigil, every year to do this. To be reminded. I think my little clippy thing came off. And that was not the reminder. The reminder that my little clippy thing fell off. No. The reminder is that we are to do and live our life in honor of the Lord. In honor of the One who paid the price for us. That's a serious business to be people that live honoring the Redeemer's splendor. We're about to enter that season where we remember the Christ child. The One born and laid in a manger. The one we talk about with angel songs. The one we sing with carols. The one we demonstrate with pageantry. The one who, who we talk about gifts with. We, we make a huge deal about Christmas. And 
we should. Because it is there that, that we get the first absolute image and glimpse of God with us. God incarnate. The One who is fully God and fully man. Who would fully pay the price for our full sin. It's that first time. We should be about honoring His splendor. But then what happens on, January, on December 26th? Well, that's the time we go to the stores and make the returns. Enough about this honoring Jesus thing. We're done with that. Season's over. Turn off the Christmas songs. Let's go back to normal business. There will be times that the people of Israel would fall into that whole snaps. They had these feast days, and then they had the Sabbath days. Time set aside, but each time pointing back that your life is about being reminded of what He did for you. And that you're to honor Him through the life you live for Him. The last reminder is the Redeemer's significance. Verses 1-16. through 16. The Lord spoke to Moses, Consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from every womb among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal. It is mine. And the Lord said to the people, Remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of His hand. Nothing leavened may be eaten. That means the bread doesn't have any yeast in it. It doesn't rise. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which He swore to your fathers that He would give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you must carry out this ceremony in this month. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there is to be a festival to the Lord. Unleavened bread is to be eaten in those seven days. Nothing leavened may be found among you, and no yeast may be found among you in all your territory. On that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign for you and on your hand, as, as a reminder, on your forehead, so that the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. Keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, you would present the Lord every firstborn male of the womb. All firstborn offspring of the livestock. You were to... Our males too will be to the Lord. You must redeem every firstborn of a donkey with a flock of an animal. And if you do not redeem it, break its neck. However, you must redeem every firstborn among your sons. And in the future, when your son asks you, what does this mean? What's the significance? What's the reminder? Why are we doing this thing we do? Say to him, by the strength of his hand, The Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of humans and the firstborn of the livestock. And that is why I sacrificed the Lord, all the firstborn of the womb that are males. But I redeem all the firstborn of my sons. 
So let it be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead, for the Lord brought us out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. What's the significance to this? That through our activity, through our attitudes, through our actions, our words, our admonitions, our adorations, everything that we do will point back. And from us to generation to generation to generation, we can point back and say the Lord alone is the Redeemer. And He redeems with a mighty hand. He redeems with an incredible grace and supply. And He does not forget those He loves. The significance is we pass this on. By how we demonstrate, by our activity that, that says God is strong in power, God is strong in provision, God is strong in pardon. We pass that on by the things that we do. And we're meant to. We're called to. So that the world will know there is a Redeemer. So that our children will know there's a Redeemer. So not just church folks, but generations to generations to come will know there's a Redeemer. I love what God was doing and intending to do with the people of Israel. One of the reasons He delivered them is because, one, yeah, He made a promise that I'm going to deliver you. Second, he says, I'm going to make a provision for you. I'm going to do it. But I'm also going to make a powerful statement that's going to be a reminder to the world. The Lord alone is God. And I am the Lord. Follow me. See my love. See my strong power. See my strong pardon for you in your time of need. And see my strong provision. My son who will ultimately be that, that, that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today as we come to this time of response, I, I pray that we have not missed out on this reminder. Is there interesting parts of the story? Absolutely. Is it encouraging in some places? Absolutely. Is it, is it enlightening and entertaining? Absolutely. But, but the point of it all is that we would trust in You. That yes, these things really happen, but it points us back to You who made these promises and provided in those ways but ultimately has brought the fulfillment through Jesus Christ, Your Son. Those that we call our God. Those, that we, those of us who trust in Him. God, we, we are meant to, to be reminders of what He has done. And as being reminders, we also need to be reminded. God, help us not forget You. Help us not let these moments just pass away as if they're trivial or meaningless. What You have done matters. And how we trust and follow after You matters. This moment matters. So God, have Your way in this moment. In Jesus' name, Amen.